actually it's our first song, This I Believe. Um, if you have a red or white folder in your pew, <clears throat> the one in front of you, next to you, um, if you would look for This I Believe, we're going to sing that first. And then um, <clears throat> this is the day on page 359 in your hymnal. You'd like to stand and sing with us.
virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. The writer of Romans had this to say. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you grew up watching Let's Make a Deal? Who, who, who has watched Let's Make a Deal? I understand there's still some semblance of it that comes on. 
but it's not the let's make a deal with the Monty Hall. It first aired in 1963, and for 30 years, Monty Hall was the host of this show. And in this show, there were people who came from all over, dressed in all kinds of outfits. They came dressed as clowns, as animals, as hobos. They, they came dressed as boats and buildings. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of the way that they came dressed. Now, why would they do that? Why would any adult want to dress like something I've just mentioned? It was so that they could claim the attention of Monty. If they could get his attention, maybe he would choose them to be a participant on Let's Make a Deal. Now, everyone who came to the show, they came expecting to make a deal. And their hope and desire was that they would make a deal from nothing to a lot. If you remember back in the day, and I don't know how they do the new show, but back in the day, he would say to the audience, who has a paperclip in their, on their possession? And women would be going through their pocketbooks looking for a paperclip. Men would be looking in their pockets. He'd say something strange like, who has a hammer? Well, there'd always be some woman with one of those 55-gallon barrel bags, you know, that would, would, would have everything that he asked for. And they would show that, and then he would come to them, and they would begin to make a deal. He would say that if you do this, you'll get that. If you do the other, you'll get that. And they sometimes could go from producing a paperclip to winning a new car. Or they could go from that paperclip to a great vacation. Or some of them would just get thousands and thousands of dollars in cash. And it was all about making a deal. It was all about trying to trade up. Now, a lot of them made good trades. A lot of them got great gifts. And then there were those who wanted to trade one more time. One more choice that they got to make. And they just knew it was going to be that, that gift of their dreams. And I can remember some who got something as lowly as a donkey instead of a car. There, there were those who would trade thousands of dollars for some kind of insignificant gift like McDonald's Burger or whatever. I, I mean, it was, it was all about trying to trade up that they were doing and it was all about the choices that they made as to what they got in return. Do you agree with me that we make daily choices ourselves? Uh, you know, a lot of our choices are pretty insignificant. But we make them anyway. Uh, one of those insignificant choices usually is clothing. But this morning, it's not really that insignificant, is it? it it's really... I was going to say it'd be really smart to dress for the weather, and then I've got two ladies who would look at me like, what do you mean to be really smart to dress for the weather? But, you, you know, this is not the day that most people would choose to wear shorts and flip-flops, right? That they would choose to wear something a little heavier, a little warmer, just because of the weather and the way that it is. 
But most of the time, what we choose to wear is pretty insignificant. And, and then sometimes, uh, the food that we eat, how many times during the day have you looked at your spouse and said, what are we going to eat? And the answer would be, and then the spouse would look at you and say, what are we going to eat? And then you say, where do you want to go? Well, let's go here. No, I don't want to go there. Well, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Does this sound familiar to anybody? Greg is like, yes, yes, and yes. And eventually, we settle on something. And in the grand scheme of things, isn't it pretty insignificant whether we had a hamburger or a hot dog or a pizza or chicken or, or whatever, but we still make that choice. And, and then brand names. Oh, my goodness. This, I don't, maybe it's as bad as it used to be. I'm not sure. But, but growing up, especially vehicles, if you drove a Ford or a Chevrolet, it was a big deal. Ford, fix or repair daily. Chevrolet, I don't know what they had. Others would say Ford first on race day. But, I mean, men especially back in the day, they were devoted to that brand of vehicle, and they would not waver from it. They, they were going to buy that Ford, that Chevrolet, and then some cheapskates like me would buy the Dodge because it was cheaper. But brands, and I remember in high school, brand name clothing was an issue, and it still is. And, and now we have this thing about the Stanley 40-ounce tumblers. That I'm still trying, still trying to wrap my brain around. And Stanley is a good company, and they have good products. And if you buy one at normal price, I understand that. But I've seen videos of people fighting and running to get to the display in Target to buy a specific tumbler. And then people who are willing to pay $100 and $200 to get one because they can't find one anywhere. And I'm like, where did their brains go? Just get you a glass and pour some water in it and drink it. But, but we, we make these choices, these decisions about all of this, which most of the time is insignificant. But then we make those that are really significant, like, who am I going to marry? You think that's a pretty important decision that you're making? Who will I marry? Well, I ain't going to marry him, but you did. <laughs> I don't want her, but you got her. Most of us went through this, this ritual called dating. Who wants to go back to dating again? Anybody? If you've been through it once, you don't want to go through it a second or third time. But through that ritual of dating, it's trying to determine who is it that, that I'm going to marry. Because, you know, it's supposed to be a lifelong commitment, and so it's really important that we choose the right one. And so that, that's a, a major impact on our lives as to who our mate's going to be, our occupation. What are we going to do for a living? Are we going to drive a truck? We're we going to be a nuclear scientist? We're we going to be in the military? Uh, We're we going to work in a factory? Uh, are we going to have our own construction company? Will we work for somebody else? I mean, that, that occupation really affects us not just for a moment in time, but forever what we do for a living. If we make that choice of what it is we're going to do, then you have education. Am I going to go to school after high school? 
If so, am I going to a trade school? Am I going to a technical college? Am I going to a junior college? Am I going to get a four-year degree? Am I going to go get an undergrad and then a grad degree? Uh, what, what kind of education should I get and what school should I go to? Should I go to Carolina? Should I go to Clemson? Should I go to Duke? Should I go to Wake Forest? Should I go to Notre Dame? Should I go somewhere else? Uh, I mean, the, those are major decisions that, that young people are being asked to make all the time. And then where do we live? A, a lot of people don't think about that because it, it's, it's changed a lot from what it used to be. But used to, wherever you were born, that was where you were going to live. But now, wherever you're born does not mean that's where you're going to live. Um, I mean, we, we got some Missourians around here. We, we got some Arkansasians that are not here today. We, we got some New Orleans people who are, who, who are here. We, we have a, a Kentucky, former Kentucky visitor with us today. I, I mean, where we are born now does not mean that's where we're going to live, but we have to make a choice. Am I going to live in the south? Am I going to live in the north, east, west? Am I going to live internationally? Am I going to live nationally? So what I'm trying to say is that we just make choice after choice after choice after choice after choice. Some insignificant, some are major. But there's no choices that we make that is important, as important as the choice that we are given in our verse of Scripture. In our verse of Scripture, we find there are only two choices that are mentioned. It talks about the wages of sin is death. Do we choose that? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, or do we choose that? We, we get to make a choice. God made us as free moral agents. We, we get to make decisions. Now, I'm not going to get into this deep theological discussion about predestination and free grace and all of that because none of us really understand it fully anyway. I do believe this, that the Holy Spirit of God has to draw an individual for them to be saved. You, you can't just say, oh, I think I'm going to be saved and, and you're saved. No, the Holy Spirit has to come work in your heart, convince you that you are a sinner, convict you of your sins, and then draw you to himself for salvation to take place. Now, when all of that happens, as I understand it, as I filter it through John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then as I understand it, once God has convicted us, God has convinced us, then we have the option of saying to God, yes or no, just like if you bought a, a, a present for your child at Christmas, and you put it under the tree and you said, this is your gift. It's free. There's no charge. I mean, it is all yours. And that child gets to choose then if they're going to accept that gift or not accept that gift. The gift is still there. The gift is still as real and true as ever. But that child can say no to that gift. So with all of that in mind, I, I see the two choices that are given here in this one verse of Scripture. The first choice being the wages of sin being death. The, the word wages, that, that is a word that was often used to uh, describe payment to Roman soldiers for their service. And the payment was usually in the form of food, fruit, vegetables. That, that was their wage for serving as a soldier. 
That, that was their wage for carrying out the orders of their commander. Well, the writer of Romans is saying here that there, there is such a thing as a wage that comes for those who are sinners. It, it is the payment that is received for the way that we live and the way that we respond to God's encouragement and invitation to follow him. As I look at this part of this verse of Scripture, I see the practice that is mentioned. It says, for the wages of sin. What does, what does it mean to sin? It, in common language, it means to miss the mark. It's like you are at the shooting range and you've got a, a pistol and you've got a target set up at, at uh, five yards and you're shooting for the bullseye. But you hit outside all of the circles, you have what? You have aimed, but you have missed the mark. Back in the old days, it would have been a bow and arrow that they would have the target set up and they would shoot at that target and, and the arrow would miss the mark. So, so the practice of sin means simply that we miss the mark. And what mark is it that we're missing? It, it is the target that God has given us in Scripture, both in Old and New Testament, of what it is to be godly and to live a godly life and to bring honor and glory to God. Beginning in the Garden of Eden all the way through the book of Revelation, the, the duty of every believer is to hit the mark of living godly lives and bringing honor and glory to God. Adam and Eve kind of missed the mark, didn't they? Uh, have you ever missed that mark? I, I have. But the sin that's being talked about here goes further than just what we do daily. This is a singular sin that it mentions for the wages of sin. Not sins, but sin. And I believe it's referring to that greatest sin of all. And, and what is that greatest sin of all? It's unbelief. I don't believe we should use bad language. I don't believe that we should drink. I don't believe we should gamble. I don't believe we should do uh, all, all these other things. But none of those things send anybody to hell. What is it that causes a man or a woman, boy or girl, to end up in hell? It is not the sins that they commit in this life, but it is the sin of unbelief. That is what keeps someone out of heaven. The fact that they have not believed in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. That, that is the greatest sin that there is. We think about drugs and alcohol and prostitution and, and just myriads of, of different ways of sinning. And, and we classify them, this is a greater sin than that one and this is a lesser sin than that one. And... And, and, and I understand us doing that because in a society, we, we've got to be able to figure out some way to, to have different levels so that we can try to keep society in a good working order. But in God's sight, sin is sin. But in God's sight, the greatest sin is not accepting his son as Savior. Because his son came to this world for what reason? To seek and to save that which was lost. His son came and died on the cross for what reason? To save those who are lost. His son endured all of the agony in the garden. His son endured all of the agony 
marching to the cross. His son endured all of the agony hanging on the cross for the forgiveness of sins for mankind. And so when we say no to that, we have committed the greatest sin that there is, the sin of unbelief. But as I look at this phrase, for the wages of sin is death, I don't just consider the practice of sin, but the prosecutor. Who is the prosecutor when it comes to sin? Go back to the book of Job. Who was the prosecutor in the first chapter of the book of Job? Was it not Satan? Did he not come before God and say, Have you considered your servant Job? Oh, if only you just understood that Job only serves you because you put a hedge around him and you've protected him. But if you take everything away from him, he's not going to be any better than anybody else. He's going to sin like everybody else. Satan is there prosecuting Job before God, saying he's not all you think he is. Just like a prosecuting attorney would do in a criminal case of, of this individual that's on trial. Let me tell you how bad this person is. Let me tell you what this person did. And that's what Satan was doing. He, he, he was prosecuting Job. And he's the one who also prosecutes us. He, he says, God, did you see what old Ken did? Did you hear what he said? Do you know how he's living? And he wants to prosecute us and show to God how sorry that we are. God already knows how sorry we are. That's the reason he sent his son into this world, because we were too sorry to live out the Ten Commandments. We were too sorry to let the law convict us and train us. And so his son came on our behalf. And when we're saved, that shed blood covers all of the sin we've committed leading up to salvation. And then as we continue to live, we, we commit sin and we confess those to Christ, he also will cover those sins. So when Satan comes to prosecute us, if we're prayed up, confessed up, kind of like God says, what are you talking about? What, what, what sin? They, they all have been covered. By the shed blood of my son. But Satan tries to prosecute us daily. The, the payment. What is the payment for the practice of sin? Uh, of this unbelief that Satan is, is bringing to God's attention? What, what is the payment? It's death. Now we're all going to die. Isn't that a wonderful thought to have on Sunday morning? We're all going to die. But we are. Every last one of us. But the payment here, talking about death, is not just the death of that we die and someone has a service for us and we're buried or cremated or, or whatever. That This is a different death. That This is a spiritual death. This is the death unto hell. For, for those who have denied and ignored and refused God's Son and His forgiveness of sin, that those who have committed this greatest sin of unbelief, that there's only one payment, there's only one wage that they can earn, and that is eternal damnation in hell. 
which is an ugly thought, but it's a true thought that God does judge based upon our relationship to his son. As I preach funerals, I always try to stress the fact that this individual, whoever it is, their interest into heaven does not depend upon anything that they have done in this life. It depends upon their relationship with God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Now, there are things I think every believer should do. There, there are ways we should live that I think is believers. But ultimately, it's our relationship with the Son that gives us entrance into heaven. And it's the lack of that relationship that condemns an individual to hell. So the wages of sin is death. But look then what the writer of Romans says. But, but, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes from talking about wages that which you earn, to gifts, that which you are given. And as I've shared with y'all before, we all like gifts. I, I mean, if you tell me you don't like receiving a gift, I'm, I'm going to worry about you majorly. Everybody likes a gift. It may not be the gift that you want. You may want one color of shirt, and they give you a different color of shirt, but we all like gifts. Well, the writer of, of Romans is saying here, there, there's a free gift of God. So the source of this gift is God. God doesn't know how to give bad gifts. Have you ever received a bad gift? Anybody brave enough to raise your hand? You, you ever received a gift that you were like, please, what, what, what? No. We, we've all had a bad gift or two. How many of us have given a bad gift? You know, it's called re-gifting. Anybody here ever practice re-gifting? You get a bad gift one Christmas, and what do you do with it the next Christmas? You re-gift it. Surely they will love this gift that I hate. They may re-gift that gift a third time. We, 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 we are all about this gifting, but some gifts are bad, but from God, they're never bad. <clears throat> he can only give good gifts. What about the magnitude of this gift? <clears throat> Not just the source, but the magnitude. How great is it? Well, it's eternal life. Do you think that's great? Eternal life? And again, eternal life carries more meaning to it than the fact that you just never die. It's talking about a full, abundant life that you live in heaven forever and forever and forever and forever. And as I've said before, our little finite minds cannot comprehend what eternity is. I, I, I cannot comprehend how long forever is. I cannot comprehend where the beginning was. 
It is impossible for a finite mind to do so. But I do know this, that this magnitude of the gift, the greatness of the gift on our life, that fullness of life in heaven, that's a really great gift. I don't believe there's going to be any regifting of that gift because God has given that gift. The avenue of the gift. How does it come about? How does it take place? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've already shared this, but I'll share it again. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness of sins, have a relationship with God, and an entrance into heaven. Without accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, we don't get to enjoy this eternal life. If you study world religions, you will find that there are all kinds of ways that world religions teach that you can be saved. Every religion has some path to enlightenment, to oneness to nirvana, to, to being with God, to being part of the universe. But there's only one, and that's the Christian faith, that says it's through the shed blood of Christ, God's only begotten Son, that we become a believer. This, this gift through Jesus Christ, it is the ultimate gift of all times. That God knew from before the foundation of the world. And again, this goes back to my finite mind. I cannot comprehend before the foundation of the world. And I cannot comprehend God already knowing then what the plan was going to be and what was going to happen. I, I cannot comprehend that. But he knew before the foundation of the world was ever laid that his only begotten son would be sacrificed on behalf of us so that we could have salvation. Well, back to let's make a deal. There were some foolish trades that were made if you ever watched the show. Do, do you know why most of them made a foolish trade? Because they were trading for that which was hidden. Behind door number one, or door number two, or door number three, which do you want to trade for? Or under this box, maybe or maybe not, would you like to trade for what's under the box? Would you trade what you already have for what I have in my coat pocket? Now in his coat pocket, could have been another paperclip or $10,000 cash. But the contestant had to make a choice without knowing what they were trading for. And boy, they make bad choices. Well, in this matter of salvation, this matter of Sin, death, 
Jesus in eternal life, those who have heard this message and those who will hear it, you will know that you have two choices to choose from. And there's nothing hidden. The choice that you make will be made with full knowledge of what it means to encounter the wages of sin or to enjoy the gift of God. It's hard to imagine people making the choice for the wages of sin, but they do. I implore those who hear online, those who watch later, those who are here, I, I implore you to be sure that you've made the right choice. Which do you choose? For me, as a young boy, God came to me and convicted me of my sin, convinced me of a need for a Savior, and I chose the gift of God for eternal life. What about you? Have you done so? Those who are listening, have you done so? Remember again, it's only as God draws and leads that this happens. But my prayer is that as you're listening, God is drawing and leading you to make that decision. If you would just bow your head, close your eyes. All who are here today at one point or another have profess that you are a believer but again give you an opportunity to examine your heart this morning to be sure that you are a believer and if not by all means I would love to share with you how you can be a believer those of you who will be listening at a later moment if you don't know Christ as your savior would you just message me so that I can share with you because the greatest decision the greatest choice ever is Christ is Lord and Savior of your life Father I pray that we would leave here today with a clear understanding of the two major choices facing every living being and may you use us then to help those we come in contact with to know the best decision to make and who to trust as Lord and Savior. Father, speak to hearts and draw men, women, boys, and girls to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you for braving the cold and being out this morning.